We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello and welcome into the Straight Up Let's Breakdown Break that Podcast. Down. Proudly part of the Hill Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your I am reluctantly wearing a hoodie, even though it's fashionable today. Um, it's it's nice and rainy here. It's fine. It, it is what it is. Today I'm joined by Hill Varsity word writer Derek Peterson. Derek, how are you? I'm good, man. Um, the wife and I went to Michigan to visit some family this weekend. Okay. So we spent the uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday driving through driving through the heart of Big Ten country from uh, from Michigan to Illinois. And the entire time it was raining and cloudy. And I was like, this is this is on brand. It's just it's just never going to stop raining. Rain will never cease to exist. And I actually made the comment. I was like, when did we move to Seattle? And then I stopped myself and I was like, hold on, hold on. That is, um, that's the whitest thing that anybody can say. <laughs> and it was funny because this weekend we also went to a karaoke bar for, they had a Halloween costume contest. And at the karaoke bar, someone, um, someone did Sweet Caroline. And were you, were you all up in it or? I, I was not, but everybody else was. And so I can, I can confidently say that this weekend I participated in the two whitest things that a white person can possibly do. I mean, that's solid. I mean, that's way up there. I would, I would name other things, but I don't, I don't want to alienate everybody. Um, but sweet, every time that song comes on, it was actually, it's funny, that was played at a high school football game that I was at on Friday night. And I, I've never seen people so excited <laughs> to like sing it's... a song. And it, it, it spans generations. Like these were little kids that were also into it that I was like, why do they know all of the words to this song? Like it, it's, that's, that's a. Oh no. Oh no. Nobody knows all of the words to the song. We know the first verse and we know the chorus. That's it. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. it. But Nobody... you sing that thing with your heart. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, well, when you get to the chorus, the bump, bump, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's, you just feel it in your soul. And you just gotta, you just gotta let let out that energy. I, I guess so. But that that was always like that is a go to when you're at the karaoke bar. I don't even know if someone's up there singing. It's just everybody is singing it, regardless. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah, we even got, matter if there's someone up there. We got that. We got a journey song. Um, we did get a random song that I never would have expected at a karaoke bar. Hey, we had somebody go up there and sing "Zombie." And absolutely murdered it. And I was okay. like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Got the the raspy growl to her. And it was it was a woman. It had the raspy growl to her voice in the chorus. Okay. I was like, ooh, ooh, well done. That's solid. It was fun. Yeah, was you fun. always get the like, I mean, it's been a long time since I went to a karaoke bar. I don't sing at karaoke bars, but I will watch um, and cheer you guys along. Like, it's all good. I'm here for you to be the hype man. Uh, but it's always a good time. Always a good time. 
It was fun. What was not fun, as we've got to, of course, get to this, is Nebraska football lost again um, this weekend, uh, 28-23 at home, off the bye week to Purdue. Um, and we start every week off with, with a segment we like to call Coach Speak, where we go over something that a coach, player, or talking head said, and we give you the straight-up breakdown of what they meant. Coach Speak to Real Talk. Um, this week comes courtesy of Nebraska senior tight end Austin Allen, um, who had this to say about his frustration level um, after that loss. Quote, frustration for me is at an all-time high because I didn't control what I can control. There were two points in the game where I caught the ball and I didn't protect it. I got away with the first one and the second one cost us. I let my team down in that situation. We had the momentum driving down the field with five minutes left. I didn't do my 111th on the play. He went on to say that he feels like he let the entire state down, um, that it was his fr- it was big frustration in the end because he didn't control what he can control. Let's break that down. Derek, when you hear all that, when you read that, what did you think uh, that he really meant when you heard all that? I, I mean, you know, in most of these these segments that you've had, there's, you know, there, there's what the person is quite literally saying, and then there's what the person means. And, and I think this one is unique in that there's no coded language here. Austin is being very, very raw. Um, I, you know, I, this, man, man sounds broken um, in a sense, and and that really makes me hurt for him um and i think a a lot of people on the team are that way you know he it's it's clear why he's a captain first of all yeah it's um it's clear why he's a a voice of the team because for him to go up there and just put it all on himself like that and and also say that he feels like he's carrying sort of weight of the expectations of the entire state on his shoulders um it's tough it's it's tough to hear you know, regardless of how tall he is and how broad the shoulders are, like there's a lot of expectations and, and, and a pretty heavy burden that, that he's carrying. And, and I looked at over the course of his career, he registered in 2017, but he's been here since 2017. The Nebraska program is 19 and 34 since he's been part of it. Um, so that's 34 losses in 53 games. Um, that's tough for anybody, particularly a kid like Austin Allen from Aurora, who, who leads this program. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where if you're a coach, you hear that. And, and while your heart breaks for the kid to hear that, to hear the kid say that, you know, there is a, a little piece of you that's like, this is a good one. This, you know, if this is a good one. If we had an entire locker room, an entire coaching staff of guys that felt this way, um, I'm not saying Nebraska doesn't have that, but just, you know, it, a random coach hears it, you know, we'd, we'd have a pretty good team. We'd have a pretty good culture. And I think Austin is is somebody that has certainly been, you know, Frost uses the phrase culture keepers. Um, he's certainly one of them. Austin Allen is. And I think, you know, I think it's good to hear from him and from, from a guy like Jojo Doman, because I didn't, I, I posed this question in our Slack channel after the game. I didn't think Nebraska waved the white flag or threw in the towel against Purdue. I didn't, I didn't really get that sense in the fourth quarter. Um, and I've kind of been waiting to see like, okay, what's the last gut punch that these guys are going to be able to endure. Right. And, you know, we'll see, but I, to have guys like Austin and, and Jojo and Adrian got a little emotional in his press conference, they clearly care. And that's what you want to see. Yeah. And I thought that, 
I'm, I'm trying to think because the the guys um, that you referenced and Austin Allen including were were all guys that were in the the main room. So full transparency, when that happens, I am not in the main room. I am off to on the side area waiting for those people. So I am oh I always go back and rewatch and reread kind of what was said. And I totally agree with you on just the general mood of. Austin being kind of like feeling like he was just kind of broken after that game. The same way with Adrian. JoJo was a little bit more impassioned um, because I also thought the question or the response from him about fans leaving got him a little bit more fired up too. Um, but the guys that we talked to off on the side, so we got Yant, Nick Henrich, Samari Ture, and Chase Contreras, if I'm remembering everyone. And it was all a similar vibe. Though those guys, um, Contreras and Yant in particular, had at least something to kind of be like happy about. It's going to sound wrong in this context about what happened with the loss. If they had something that they could pull from from that game, Yant, even though he mysteriously disappeared in the second half, um, in the first half was a lot bigger part of the game plan. Contreras obviously getting his first real shot at Nebraska after growing up a Husker fan, which is a really neat story. Um, that was really good for him. We actually got to talk to him again. We recorded this on Monday. We talked to him again today. Um, and so he expanded on that some more, which is, was a kind of nice to hear given all of the rest of the things um, surrounding the program right now. But I do think that like you started off with, typically there is a subtext here with, with these quotes. This one does not have that. It's very direct. Um, but I do think that the like how bad you feel for these players in particular guys that are around Austin's age um, in the program. It, it, it's just tough. Like the amount of losses that have piled up and yes, I know that somebody is listening to this thinking, yeah, they play a part, part in that. And sure they do, but no one signed up for this to be their Nebraska experience, especially a guy like Austin Allen, who has seen a couple of coaching staffs who went from went through the Riley era and how that went only to have kind of Frost come in, have so much excitement and, oh, here we go. We're about to take off to then be, for it to be this um, has to just be some sort of mental thing that you just don't want to have. Um, and so I am gutted for a lot of these players uh, because it just has to be really difficult. And it feels like, it, it, it does feel like to me that it's not that people aren't trying. I'm with you hundred percent. Like I am, I'm with you. I, I, I keep waiting for that other shoe to drop and to be able to look out there and point to something like we could maybe at the end of the Riley tenure or even a little bit um, or definitely with Callahan, um, not as much with Bo. There was still fight there to the end just because of how all of that went. Um, but we haven't seen that. We know what that looks like here. And, and I haven't seen that. I didn't get that the sense um, from the team with that today on Monday when they were kind of talking. Now it's a whole different beast because, you know, they can try as hard as they want to um, play against Ohio State and it might not be enough. Um, and it probably won't be, but I don't get the sense that they're just like waiting to pack it in and just give up. Yeah. And, you know, not to, not to stick on this point, but like 2017 was my first year here. Um, so I saw, you know, they closed the year on a, on a four-game losing streak. They get absolutely uh, manhandled at Minnesota. Um, the Penn State game is a 12-point game on the scoreboard at the end of it, but it wasn't close. It was, you know, they got garbage time touchdowns and Penn State put in backups at the end. And then Iowa just throttled them. 
Um, and it, and it just looked like, you know, like letting go of the rope and, you know, I think people are, are getting to the point where they're tired of the one score losses thing. That's, that's a narrative that has gone from, Hey, this is something to feel good about to, Hey, I'm tired of this. I don't want to hear about it. It's not actually real. Um, it is real. And I think, you know, even if they get a garbage time touchdown at the end, you know, the, the games that they've had this season, they haven't been like that Penn state game. I, the games are, I, I, I would argue closer than what they have appeared on the scoreboard. They haven't gotten blown out in, in any of them. Now I understand that Ohio state, Wisconsin and Iowa are coming up and that potential is out there because those teams are pretty good. Probably not Iowa because their offense is poo-poo. Yeah. It'd be hard but, for them to get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, unless they get back to the way they were in the first six games of the season where they've got 15 billion interception returns for touchdown. Um, anyway, but uh, you know, they haven't let go of the rope and they haven't gotten blown out and they haven't just mailed it in and said, we're just done. We're done with it. And, you know, sure. We got three games left. Maybe that happens. Um, maybe it happens this weekend against Ohio state, but based on everything that, that the team has said, I'm inclined to believe that it won't happen. And, you know, maybe they don't have the, the ability right now or the coaching right now to hang with Ohio state who is playing at a, at a really high level right now. Um, but, you know, if they can hang with Wisconsin and they can hang with Iowa, they absolutely can. And um, I think that's, that's where they're at. Yeah. And I, I, it's just such a, they're in such a tough position because I, I, I'm not questioning their effort. And I think they have enough talent to win more games, yet they're not winning more games, right? Like it, it's just such a, it's a and, and it leads you all to one road. And this is the kind of the main point that I want to talk to you about today uh, because you wrote a great column last night um, titled on HailVarsity.com, Nebraska, Scott Frost are running out of time to find the answer. And there are a million different ways that I could go. I, I will tell you this to your face because I could see you on the Zoom. I read this twice because I was so impressed with it. Um, there, there's a particular paragraph that I want to start with, and then we can kind of go from there. It's later in the column. And it says, but Nebraska is 0-8 under Frost against the remaining teams on its schedule. It has never won three games at any point under, three games in a row under Frost at any point and endured three-game losing streaks three different times. Probabilistically, the most likely scenario now might be that Nebraska loses out and drops to 3-9, and nine, which would be the program's worst season since 1957. And so I'm trying to, I had that paragraph in my mind as I was at another Scott Frost press conference today in which he says, we're close, we're close. Um, you know, we just, you know, we got a couple of more pieces that we need to get or a couple of more plays here and there. And it's hard for me with that graph in mind to think that they're A, that close and that B, we're not heading towards disaster when it comes to how this season is going to end which would be, I think, if they go 3-9 and nine, off the top of my head, would that be six straight losses to end this season? It would be, yes. Like, I, I'm just, I just have a hard time squaring all of that in my brain. There's no real question there. I just have a hard time squaring that in my brain. So let me ask you a question. Does Nebraska's performance against Purdue erase Nebraska's performance against Michigan? Um erase no but it makes it feel like 
a fluke. Does Michigan's loss to Michigan State this weekend make that performance, Nebraska's performance against Michigan, look retroactively worse than it was? Wait, say that again. Does Michigan... so, so because Michigan lost to Michigan State this weekend, the manner in which they lost, they were up 30 to 14, and then Kenneth Walker went crazy, and they, they blew it, basically. Um, and, and now a lot of people are saying, well, same old Jim Harbaugh coached Michigan team. Does that change the way you view Nebraska's game against Michigan in the sense that you think Michigan isn't as good as maybe the rating would have suggested or the ranking would have suggested they were at the time? No, I think Michigan is still a pretty good team. Okay. That you know, I think that they're still a pretty good team. But I also think that we maybe should give, on the flip side, give Michigan State more credit than what they've gotten um, to this point as well. Okay. Yeah. So I so I'm I'm there with you on the last point. Um, Purdue. Part part of the problem right now, and I don't want to call anybody out, and I don't want this to sound like excuse making. Part of the problem right now, and I talked about perception after the Minnesota game, there's a perception that, well, it's Nebraska, Nebraska, big Nebraska. They're better than Purdue. They should be better than Minnesota. They should be better than North. They're not. They're not. Purdue's a good football team. Minnesota's six and two. Which I and, think, and, I actually and, think that people do not realize that that Minnesota, despite that Bowling Green loss, is six and two, right? Yeah, they're in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West yeah. because of Wisconsin beating Iowa. Um, those are good football teams. And we talked about Nebraska's schedule before the season. It was a tough schedule. Very, very tough schedule. Um, no, I don't think people expected to see three and six at this point in the year. But they have played good football teams pretty much week in and week out, with the exception of you know, Northwestern. Northwestern. Um, but I think Buffalo lost to Bowling Green. Fordham doesn't count. It's an FCS game. Um, so, so pretty much since Big Ten play resumed after the, the first three games of the season, I mean, they've played really good football teams. Um, so, so part of it is I, I just can't – and maybe this is Brandon Vogel wearing off on me. I'm starting to be like, I don't want to overreact to one game at a time particularly with this team because they are so volatile. I, I think about what happened against Purdue and I look at Adrian throwing four picks and I just think that's the game. That's, that's what, if you don't have those four interceptions, Nebraska probably wins the game. You think about um, Bill Conley's S and P plus model. I'm pretty sure the post game win expectancy number for Nebraska for the Purdue game was 93%. It was. <laughs> Yeah, so so for anybody that doesn't know how that model works, it, it's based off of historical data. So thousands of games that have taken place, and when teams have done the things that Nebraska did, did against Purdue, they won ninety three percent of the time. Four interceptions changes that, and I and I think Frost said that Monday in his press conference where he said Purdue had five turnovers against Wisconsin and lost. We had four turnovers against Purdue and we lost, and that's kind of the game. Um, that's that's part of it, and so I, you know, like I was a little annoyed with some of the stuff that happened. Saturday night and, and was set after the game. And then I kind of just, we went to our karaoke bar. I had a good night. And then I thought about it in the morning with a, with a fresh mindset. And I was like, yeah, it's bad, but I'm just, I'm not yet at a place where I'm like, it's time for Frost to go. I'm just not there. And that's probably not popular. Um, and even, you know, considering the graph that you read um, 
they're zero and eight against the, the three teams left on their schedule, and it's not likely that they're going to win three games in a row. And to take it further, against those three teams left on their schedule, they've lost nineteen straight games against those three teams: seven against Wisconsin and six against Ohio State and Iowa each. Um, the average margin against Ohio State in the last four meetings has been thirty-one points. It hasn't been a close game. Um, but all that being said, I still see signs of progress. There's a, there's a point in this column where if we're just talking about efficiency with which the offense moves the ball and the efficiency with which the defense prevents the other guys from moving the ball, when Frost took the program over, Nebraska was averaging 5.6 yards per play. It was middle of the pack in the country. The defense was giving up 6.3 yards per play. It was 112th out of 130 FBS teams. This season, right now, after the Purdue game, Nebraska is top 25 in yards per play gained. They're at 6.7. And the Blackstreets are giving up 4.97 yards per play, which is the 22nd best mark in the country. That's after the Purdue game. So, like, turnovers are down. Penalties are down. Even, even, I mean, you know, before, before four interceptions against Purdue, like, I think Adrian had three interceptions on the year. And the fumbles had, had kind of gone away. So you're looking at areas in the offseason where we said they need to improve. And in certain areas, they have improved. And the, it just hasn't led to wins. And, like, I just – I don't know. Because all of the information available to you says, yeah, it's not working. Go with a different coach. But then you're like, well, but there's this. And there's this. And there's this. And I see this. And I see the players – fighting for their coach. And I see the players trying so hard to make this happen. And I see like Nebraska was getting blown out in 2017 for a, a lame duck coach. And it, there's the potential that their, their coach right now is, is on the hot seat and they're not getting blown out and they're being close in all of these games. Um, I don't feel like I'm answering the question that you asked, <laughs> but it, like, this is, I, this is just, this is the issue right now. And, and I think like when you're Trev Alberts looking at this situation, I think, it, you know, I, I think there is a possibility that he stays another year because you're, you can, you can talk about all these things and you're, you're waffling throughout the conversation. Yeah. I think that that's the, the big, and it, it's still, it's, it's weird. Like, I think, a, I don't want to say a lot of the fan base, I wouldn't know which what percentage to put of of the fan base that is like over it done let's move on because it's it's always hard to tell because you can't really use social media as a barometer because like it it happened and that it's actually funny which it was a couple of weeks ago um the minnesota game i actually ended up watching with some people because i didn't go on the road um i watched with some people and it the uh, of the people that were there None of them wanted to move on. It wasn't even a topic of conversation. And of course, this is pre-Minnesota. Things change after a couple of more losses. But it wasn't even something that could be broached as a topic. It was, oh, they're close. Um, and so I suspect that some of those people are still in that camp. You've gotten people that are louder now, particularly on social media and on message boards and on talk radio. Like, that's always going to happen. But it's always a, a little bit tough because when you just go to like your average Husker fan that goes to games and doesn't like live and die with it in the, in a different kind of way on social media, like, and there's a difference, like those people are typically a little bit more level-headed than the folks that are really railing about it on social media. So it's hard to kind of get a true temperature 
Because if you base it just on social media, it feels like right now 90% are like, let's let's go ahead and get it over with. I I do think that the wavering and waffling that you're working through in your mind as you talk it out is really interesting. Like, because I do think that it's not so cut and dry that you're going to say at this point right now, 100% this needs to happen or that needs to happen, whichever way. But with that being said, we still have three weeks left in the season to then either win people to whatever side of the fence that you like could see this going. And I think the three weeks is a lot of time. As we've seen, as I started off kind of saying, if we were just a couple of weeks ago in Minnesota, there were a chunk of people that didn't even want to bring it up. Now there are more people. You get three more losses, even though at this point they're expected losses. Three more losses to then go three and nine makes that a really hard sell. And I think that the point, the ultimate thing that's going to be hard for Trev Alberts beyond the buyout and, you know, former players and all of that stuff is how would you, I don't know how you would sell to the fan base. Hey, he, they went three and nine in year four with a veteran defense and a four-year starter at quarterback. But we think that somehow he's point, it's pointed in the right direction for a year five. I just think that that would be a really hard sell. Even with some of the statistical things that you could point to, I think that it would be really tough. Well, yeah. I, and that's the, I mean, that's the, the headache for Alberts is if, if you say, I agree with you, Scott, I see that you're close. One more year then he, you still have to make staff changes. I'm, I'm comfortable yeah. saying that. You have to make staff changes. And if you, if you are in a situation where you tell the head coach, you got one more year to figure this out, show us that, that you can get this done, but you have to make staff changes. There are then two more questions that come up. Do you trust his ability to identify the right pieces to add to the staff? And do you trust his ability to convince those coaches to come join his staff? Because, and I I know this is not a a great example, but like Bob Diaco came to Nebraska and I mean, where has his career gone since? He came for essentially a lame duck coach, right? Right. And where's his career gone since? Now he's not a, he didn't look like a good defensive coordinator when he was here, but like guys don't want to, attach their name to a sinking ship and then have their career, you know, dive bomb because of it. And so it then would become a a very tough sell to get the right people to come on board with you. If in a year's time, there's the potential that they're going to lose their job. Right. The other thing is from a recruiting standpoint, how do you sell five straight losing seasons? And that's where I actually was thinking of going right at when you said that, because the two, two things that I've, I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of days, the assistant thing and the recruiting situation, because I, I, you could honestly make an argument either way that, the, that making a move this year is the right thing from a recruiting standpoint, because you could say it's the right thing because it won't matter because there's a small class anyway. Um, and some of those guys that are in the class right now, 
they're committed to Nebraska, not necessarily to Scott Frost, um, especially those in-state guys. They're going to come here regardless, whatever. You can go down the line. Um, but I think the bigger problem for ret- the biggest pro- the bigger problem for retaining Frost at this point is, man, what in the world happens to the 2023 recruiting class? And could you afford to stack two potentially stack two subpar classes in a row? You cannot. You cannot. If you especially look at the way, considering hold on real quick, sorry. Especially considering how many kids in the like just in the radius and guys that they're in on that they've had here on visits that are basically either going to come to Nebraska or go to other Big Ten schools. You would be looking up in a few years and being like, "Ooh, boy, we're going up against." insert kid here that could have been at Nebraska um, on a weekly basis, which will sting even more. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't stack two. what are they in the seventies right now, nationally in terms of the recruiting class, right? I think, you can't stack, I think it's in the nineties. You can't stack two of those classes on top of each other. No, not, not when, not when you're in, this is, this is the best conference in football. It's the best conference in college football. You can't you can't stack subpar recruiting classes on top of each other, and and then that, and those wouldn't even be subpar for a no. power five program. Those would be unacceptable recruiting classes for a power five program. No, because um, go ahead, sir. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to move on. I was oh, going to say. No. I, <laughs> I was just going to. I was going to try to pull it real quick to see where they are um, nationally with recruiting rankings. And I can't even want, they're not on the first page. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, okay, sorry. They are 77th in the entire country. Okay, so I got uh, it right in my column. That makes me happy. There you go. Okay, my bad. Um, and they are last in the Big Ten by, man, by a fairly substantial margin. Yeah. Um, behind Iowa, who's the 13th. It's so wild because Iowa is 13th, Wisconsin is 12th, and there's probably zero panic. Like, <laughs> because all. they have it's developmental the chops. Yeah, they, they have a history of developing guys. Not a quarterback, not for Iowa. Well, maybe for both, not a quarterback. Yeah, maybe both of them. So the, the, the thing that I was going to say next, and it doesn't relate to recruiting, I think the operative question and the most important question that Trev Alberts is going to ask I don't think I don't think he's he's the kind of guy that's going to say, well, who would we go get? And I don't think you should say that. I think that's a that's a dumb way to operate. Yeah, it's, it's a, a bad dumb, way. It's a to dumb operate. argument. Uh-huh. Um, I think the the most important question for Trev is, is this year one? Is this year one or is this year four? Because Alberts can say. Well, this is a completely new way of operating. This is a completely new athletic department. We're doing things differently. I operate very differently than my predecessor. There was COVID last year. Is this year one? And I don't think that that's, I don't think it's it's absurd to float that that might be a thought for him. Um, because if if he says, well, this is year one, then he can go into the off season or, or the December, January, February, the winter months and tell frost. You, you had a year with me. We, we took our lumps. We had ups and downs. You know what the expectations are from me. You know how I want to operate. You know how this is supposed to be run. You know how I want this to be run. 
this is what you have to do X, Y, and Z. And he's probably not ever going to publicly reveal what the X, Y, and Z is, which is great, but I'm sure he's going to give, he's going to lay it out to Frost if, if, and when he, not when, if he says, yeah, you can have another year, he's going to let you got to do this, this, and this, we got to hit these benchmarks. And then it's on Frost. And if it doesn't happen, it's on Frost. Um, Brandon made a really good point. He could set it up to where it's, you do this. And if you don't do this, then it's because of you. You have lost your job because of you. Then Frost decides his fate. Because right now there's so much waffling and there's so much, well, I see progress. Well, but this, well, but this, well, but this. There's a little bit of uncertainty if you make the decision. Because also there's a there's a point in my column too where I said Frost would be the third guy since Solich to have four years or less. And I really do firmly believe in my in my gut that college football coaches deserve more time to turn programs around than what they currently get in this era. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the question for Trip. Is this year one? I do. I, I think that if I think that that's a, a a positive way for Frost to try to push for retention. I think that that's a, a path to that in a in a situation where the paths seem to be closing as as more and more time goes on. Because I do think that that's a way. Also to then say to perspective, because you still in that case, you're still going to have to change the staff quite a bit, uh, particularly on offense. Like, I, and I don't even know if it's particular. I think it might be all on offense. Um, you would have to do that. But that would also be a leg to stand on when going to new potential assistants to say, hey, I want you to come help me out here in Nebraska. I want you to be part of the staff. But just my athletic director is saying that we're, we're kind of hitting the reset button. Like, and I mean, I'm sure Trev could meet with them, whatever, and try and take his shot at convincing them as well so that it doesn't feel so lame ducky, right, into coming into something like this. It's just that I wonder if it would have been a lot easier to get to that point of, hey, it's year one at five and seven. Even missing, even missing a bowl game in year four, I think you still would, you would have had a better sell at five and seven to make that case. And listen, there's still. Who Wait, I was just about to say five and seven is on the table. Wisconsin's yeah. offense looked trash in the, in the first half of the season and Iowa just benched his quarterback. Yeah. And so I think that if, if, if you want that path, if you're Scott Frost, and that's a, and, and if you're Scott Frost, you want all available paths to you at this point because the walls are closing in, then you've got to go five and seven. I, I think that four and eight would be tough, even though you would have, you would in this case have in your back pocket to say you beat either in that, to get there, you had to have beaten Ohio State, Wisconsin, or Iowa, which as you said, they have not done in a very long time. Um, so at least you would have that leg to stand on. I just, it's going to be really difficult to get there um, based on the way it feels like it's trending. And I, I just don't know. It's, but I could, but I do think, but I don't think, uh, to be clear, that it's absurd that that would be a line of thinking that would go on. I think that there is a way, I think I could see that being something that was said, like, hey, this is year one. Uh, we're basically hitting the reset button. It's just going to be, really tough because things have just been so bad because even with like, and I, I agree with your larger point that, that coaches should get more time to turn programs around. 
But this, but what we're seeing is not turn the program around issues. And if, if you say that that means competing for the West would have been turning the program around, like Nebraska's not even like they're barely competing for bowl games and not making them. So like it, there's a there's a gulf between what you would think should be happening or would be the bare minimum to be happening and what's actually happening that's so large that it becomes difficult more difficult for me to have those types of discussions this is just it's uh, this is where this is where i keep getting hung up does does a different coach a head coach standing on the sideline holding the head coach clipboard the headset whatever the head coach does with the get back man behind him does a different head coach standing in scott frost's place prevent the punt from going left instead of right does a different head coach prevent adrian martinez from fumbling like one second before the play is is called dead does a different head coach present austin allen from fumbling there they have had 16 possessions under scott frost at the end of the game with four minutes left on the clock with a chance to tie or take the lead they have not scored points on 15 of those 16 possessions. That is today. Is that quarterback? Is that players? Or is that the head coach? And it's not, it's not me like saying like, I don't think it's the head. It's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. And that's where the hangup is. I think part of the problem that people have with not putting that on the head coach is that it's been so many and so long of the same type. So when you say there's 16 of those drives, it's a lot of drives, right? Before you figure out how to change something to then switch this up. When we talk about the fumble, that one, that fumble from Adrian Martinez wasn't the first time that something like that happened. You got to figure out how to shake that up before you get to the fourth year of this. That punt situation where you're not going to necessarily have that every year or every week. And then thankfully, otherwise it would drive everybody mad. Like the leaky punt situation has been an ongoing problem in this tenure. And I, I, I don't always want to, I don't love saying it's just so simple as having a dedicated special teams coach, but clearly something has been off when it comes to how special teams operates under this coaching staff. And so that still leads you to, yeah, if you had someone else that placed an emphasis on details and placed an emphasis on special teams, maybe those things are different. So maybe the answer is maybe yeah, <laughs> because it's I, never so easy to say one way or the other. The thing that's working against frost is that in those 16 possessions, Adrian has had some Andrew bunch had one. Noah Vedral has had a couple Luke McCaffrey had a couple. It's not just one quarterback the entire time. It's been right. multiple quarterbacks. And it, of course, Adrian had the majority because Adrian has, has been the, the starter for the majority of the games in which he's, played for nebraska but the only time they've scored was when noah vedral and wandell robinson two guys who have left the program because they didn't like the way they were being used which is which is an oversimplification of what happened but still got them into field goal range and a emergency safety turned kicker hit the game winning field goal against a bad northwestern team that's the only time it's happened and so that's that's the argument against frost 
and with, with the special teams thing, like hire a dedicated special teams coach. He just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And didn't want and have done everything in the world, but do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he didn't do it. He chose not to do it. And, and that's, that's a knock against frost. I also think that part of this is too, like one of the things, not the special teams, but the offensive woes. And and I want to make sure we get to this, the offensive woes under frost, I think add to kind of the fuel to the fire when it comes to like his seat warming. Right. If I think if the roles were reversed, if the offense at Nebraska looked like it looked at UCF or like it did at Oregon, but the defense looked as bad or as inconsistent as the offense currently looks at Nebraska, I think that people would be able to kind of stomach that a little bit better and then say, okay, just change all of the defensive staff. I think that part of what really hurt Scott Frost in all of this is the thing that he was supposed to be great at and with the, the, one of the big reasons, not the, because part of this is also the native son coming home. One of the big reasons for him being hired and being such a hot commodity that year was how good the offense was. And it's not been that. And I think that that plays that disconnect of how that's gone, I think plays a role in this too, because so much of it ends up being, and we talked about it briefly. We said, well, Hey, assistant coaching changes are going to have to happen as a part of him coming back. And I said, well, yeah, all of them have to be on the offense. But at the same time, I should probably add in that the offense is his baby. So that also works against him too, right? Yeah. I mean, this was, this was a piece in, in my, my column as well. I mean, he, he isn't into sloganeering. He doesn't think it's, it's his job to motivate the team. He wants the team to police themselves. And, and I'm not critiquing strategy. I'm just saying this is the way that he operates. He yeah. doesn't have any, anything to do with the defense, to the point where you, you can't really ask him about what an opposing offense is going to do because he doesn't watch the tape. And, the, you know, the offense is his. It's, it's his. We don't, we don't know what the split, percentage split in play calling duties is, but most of us kind of think that Frost takes over more than not. Right. Frost wanted Cam Jurgens at center regardless of what Greg Austin thought. Frost benched Adrian Martinez regardless of what Mario Verduzco thought. It's, it's not just his first focus. I'm just going to read straight from my column. It's his singular focus. And when, it, when that's the biggest problem with the football team, because it is, the offense is the biggest problem with the football team, that's as big an indictment of his ability to lead the team as there is. Yeah. Like, and, and that's a, that is a, a major problem and, and a couple of things. And then there's a couple of like that one mixed with what was also in there that you read about the, you know, being anti-sloganeering and you want the guys to police themselves. What he said this weekend about, you know, a good, a good team shouldn't need uh, me to motivate them all of the time. There are two big buckets. You to listen me. to Kirby smart. Yeah, like there are two two big buckets that are really, really going to work against him that don't have to do with wins and losses. The offense and and its ineptitude and 
the the well, it's not inept. style it, okay it's, it's not inept this is a, i mean this is a problem this is why there's so many issues because it's not inept because we see the scheme and i know that's not I, i'm not i'm not attacking you i'm just saying this is like this is where my brain is yeah like because that's the first word that comes to to my mind and i'm like it, but it's not though because it works we've seen it work it and it, it just doesn't work it, it short circuits yeah yeah i guess it is the, the more accurate way it is not inept it, it it has shortcomings but you mix that with his like kind of leadership style and it, it it doesn't those are two things that i'm not sure how you fix that and i'm not saying that to be alarmist i'm, I'm just saying like i don't when you think about okay if you try to bring him back and he's going to improve and get better on the job even though it's really hard at nebraska to, <laughs> if I was like to get better and improve on the job i guess it could happen but like that's really difficult to do that's a high bar to clear but let's just say like to ask someone to change the two things that probably for him are the hardest thing to change, like the way that he leads and the and whatever is happening and need to be fixed with the offense are just two things that I don't know how it, how that's going to happen. Like those are two really tough asks of someone um, that seems to be as stubborn as he is. <laughs> like it's yeah. just kind of that, that it's really tough just from a practical point of view. Stubborn is a good word. And that's kind of where, you know, if somebody wants to make the argument to me that, that it's time for him to go, if you start talking about like decision-making, that's the one where I'll just nod along and be like, all right, I understand what you're saying. Because like Jacques Yent is averaging 7.4 yards per rush this season. It's almost three yards more than any other back on their roster. He didn't play the second half. He got two carries went back to back. One of them went for two yards. The other one went for a loss of two. And then he didn't play. And this continues to happen where guy makes mistake or guy misses protection or guy misses assignment and he's on the bench. But it's not every guy. It's no. certain guys. And some of those certain guys are proven playmakers you know, what happened to Marquis step? I don't have the answer to that question. And if he's not available because he's injured, say something, help yourself out, say something, say that he's not available because right now it just looks like you got this kid from USC. That was the most experienced running back on your roster. He had a hundred yard game in the second game of the season. And then he just stopped playing. He just fell off the face of the earth. Jacques Yan had a hundred yard game against Northwestern and then didn't play. He didn't get carries. Yeah, the next two they, games, I think he got. They can't get carries. the ball to Samori Torre. They don't target Oliver Martin after whatever happened at the beginning of the season. He had a hundred yard game, and then something happened, and he wasn't available, and he's come back, and they can't get him the ball. And Xavier Betts was on the field a lot more against Purdue, but that hasn't always been the case this season. He's averaging 19 yards per touch this year. This year alone, 19 yards per touch. That's a playmaker. Get him on the field and get him the ball. You know how often Kentucky says Wandale. We're going to look at you. His target share is ridiculous. They're targeting him because he's their best player because they're just getting him the ball. Like, like how many times he had double digit touches against Georgia. Now the, the yards per touch, the efficiency wasn't there because Georgia's defense is incredible, but Kentucky said, you're our best player. We're getting you the ball. Samori Torre had one catch in Minnesota, all of Minnesota and the first uh, 54 minutes against Purdue, one catch. Their best receiver had one catch. 
that you, I just don't, you, you can't do that. And maybe that's on Adrian, just connect with him. And it's certainly on Samori for dropping one that right. he should have had. Um, but some of the decision-making with personnel, some of the decision-making with in meetings is that that's the one where I'm like, that's, I, that's, that's not going to change. It's probably not going to change. And we've seen it consistently inconsistent <laughs> um, throughout the tenure, right? We like one of the, the strangest things to go like really sit down and like kind of chart out in your mind or write down is what's happened at running back during this time. Yeah. I don't, I, I just like, they can't run. I, I can't figure out why what's I going cannot on figure right. out like, no, like for the life of me, how, they've had happen what's happened at running back from misidentification of who was supposed to play with Ozigbo, who obviously, I guess at that point should have been starting, but maybe they didn't like him in the beginning. Um, well, but Greg Bell's had a perfectly good career with San Diego state. To what, yeah. The Greg Bell thing is in there because obviously he can play somewhat um, to like w- the stuff that's going on this year. Um, it, it, to last year with just not really having any sort of running game to speak of outside of Adrian Martinez, um, Ramir Johnson being fifth on the depth chart to now being like the only guy that you trust to put out there. Like it's, <laughs> well, can I say something? Good. So, so there, I see that I see, um, well, what has Ryan held actually done? Would he not get credit for developing Ramir? Would, yeah, would he not, like would he not be the things. guy that gets the credit for like, I, like, is it his fault that the usage is insane? Yeah, something uh, we don't know because, like, on one hand, like, and there's two big examples of this. Like, he should get credit for developing Ramir Johnson and figuring out a way to get through to him to then get him better and to the point to where he's now contributing to the team. Like, helping Divino Zigbo get unlock what he unlocked during his season. Yeah, you've got to get credit for that. Um, because we don't fully know what the cause was for why certain guys were playing and why certain guys were sitting. Because it could turn out, and I do not know this, I'm not, I'm not speculating, but it could turn out that like maybe Ryan Held wanted to play player X earlier and was told no. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, don't, yeah. we do not know that. So, yeah, he's got to get some credit for that. And it was kind of the same thing with Greg Austin on the offensive line. Like, Greg Austin deserves credit for getting Teddy Prohaska and Nori Noelle ready to play in short order because it, he's their coach. But he also deserves, like, criticism for, like, what's happening with Bryce Benhart, what's happening with the other guard. Like, it's all so layered and has so many different sides, even when you break it down position by position, because we could do the same thing for Matt Lubick when it comes to the wide receivers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just such a – the one spot that's really tough, even though, again, I was going to say it's tough, but it's really not. Quarterback is the same way. Because we can say, as, as Aaron Sorensen wrote in her um, notebook after the game, like it's tough to square how prolific statistically Adrian Martinez has been while also acknowledging that there are just shortcomings there that it seems like he's not going to get past. And so on one hand, like you give Mario Verduzco credit for getting those statistics out of him. But on the other hand, like we talked about earlier, those fumbles um, and interceptions always rear their heads at the wrong time. So somebody posed this question to me on Twitter and I don't 
I don't have the name of the person, so I, I apologize, but shout out to you because it's a good question. Um, with everything that's going on at UCLA with Chip Kelly, there, there is inevitably going to be a, a think piece that kind of looks at Scott Frost, Chip Kelly, throw Matt Lubick in there, that kind of era of Oregon football and how dominant they were offensively and how those guys have gone on to other places and it hasn't worked at, at big places. It obviously worked for a season with Frost at UCF, but what is, what's happening in Nebraska is, is I think, more interesting. Um, and, and somebody asked, I'd be curious to know what defensive coordinators say about the scheme. Do you just give up fluff yards to the offense until they get to the red zone? And then when there's not enough space for them to do what they want to do, then you shut them down. And really that's kind of a, a problem that Nebraska has is they get oh, yeah. themselves into scoring positions and then they can't do anything with it. Um, and, you know, maybe that's part of it. So, so maybe it's a situation where the yardage is smoke and mirrors a little bit to a degree. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, Adrian is on pace to be the program's all time leader in total offense for a career like he's like he's on pace to do that and if he plays a, a fifth season with covid he he would be on pace to enter like top 10 fbs all time for total offense in a career um bad players don't do that right like untalented players don't do like there's clearly talent there so yeah it's interesting and like the, the question just to bring it back to, to sort of the personnel thing the question that i would ask is who's deciding who goes on the field because like when it came to Jurgens, we know who made that decision. Is is that what happens everywhere else? That's my question. That is a great question. It's a good place to leave that part of the podcast because now we're going to do my favorite segment uh, that happens every week. I'll put them on blast where we put someone on blast for that, something that they did or said. Put them on blast. I'm going to actually go first because we have already hit this just a little bit. Um, I tried to keep it in the back pocket, but I couldn't because it, it fit what we were talking about. Scott Frost is the person that I'm putting on blast uh, for this statement on a question that was not even about this. The question was, why the team hasn't been able to win recently. And he said, quote, we just have to play better. We're a good team, but we're not a great team talent-wise. We have to play better. A team shouldn't need me to motivate them all the time. That's my job. That's what I do. But a great team doesn't need a coach to motivate them all the time. We got them ready to play. I thought they came out ready to play in the first half. They, they weren't not ready to play in the second half. We just stubbed our toe a few times and made too many mistakes and got beat by a Big Ten team. I have sat with this quote in full since Saturday night, and I honestly think that whenever the time comes that Scott Frost isn't the coach at Nebraska anymore, for me, this will be a top five worst thing that he said in the time that he was here. I think that that was as tone deaf a quote or a statement as you're going to get from a head coach because it signals to me that he doesn't understand his football team. Like I think that, and this was the beginning of that thought to me was um, all of the talk leading up to the bye to the Minnesota game. And then the subsequent bye week about how we just need to get to the bye. We just got to get there. Everybody needs a break. And I didn't know if the team could handle that. I thought maybe they could, because like he said, they had a little bit more of a veteran team. 
but clearly they couldn't and they needed to be, you know, pushed at all times. And not understanding that, seeing how that all played out, then coming back on this and saying they don't, they shouldn't need me to motivate them all the time tells me that there's a disconnect there about where he thinks the team should be or sees the team or wants the team to be and where it actually is. Like, I, I just don't see any way to where that's something that you should really think, much let alone say um, at a press conference after a game. Um, and for all of that, Scott Frost definitely has to go on blast for me uh, for that quote. Yeah, I didn't just to, to piggyback off. I didn't that when I when I mentioned earlier that like after the games, there were a few things that like annoyed me. The we have good talent, not great talent thing. That was that was the thing that annoyed me the most Okay, because in the preseason, this was the best team that he had. Right. And in the preseason, this was the team with the best skill talent that he's ever had with an offensive line that should be a strength with a fourth year. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of, it's just, I I don't, I don't want to hear that. There's a lot. And I don't think the players do either. There's because there's a lack of accountability in those statements too. And I think that that, we talk about things that can lose you a locker room or, you know, make guys let go of the rope. I think statements like that when they start to pile up can really get guys um, because there's also just no spinning that in the locker room, right? You can't go back to your guys and say, Oh man, I didn't really mean that you guys weren't great. Like it's just, it's just a, yeah, you can't do, you can't do the Burt Bielema thing and say, well, that was taken out of context. No, it's exactly what you said. You said good, not great. You expanded on it. (laughs) Like, yeah, you can't, it's tough. That one's a really tough quote to come back from. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's deflecting and he's got too many moments um, in this tenure where it looks like he's making excuses for himself and you know, it, it is what it is. Um, my put him on blast is Love's Travel Stop. Um, <laughs> okay. We are, so I, I, this is this is just going to be very niche. The Oklahoma City Thunder have an awesome city edition uniform. It's gorgeous. It's it's the, we used to have this like navy blue city edition, or navy blue like alternate uniform that had like vertical word mark on it. And we brought that back, except instead of navy, it's all it's like icy white with gray. It's like perfect because Oklahoma never gets snow; it just gets ice, and nobody knows how to deal with the ice, and it's terrible. So everything is iced out. It looks awesome. It looks really cool. It's all white, gray. We're getting an alternate court and everything. Oh, cool. And then they go and they stick this stupid yellow loves patch on it. Yellow is not in the Thunder's color scheme anywhere. It has. It, it's not. And we got this dumb, it's a yellow square. Just take the yellow square off. The logo is this like yellow square and there's two hearts inside of it and it says loves. Just take the yellow square off and have it be the two hearts and loves. Everyone will know exactly what it is. It'll still be identifiable to everyone that, it, that has seen a loves. Just take the yellow square off, please. I beg of you. It's a gorgeous uniform and it looks so out of place, the little sponsor patch on there. I just, I need it to come off. It's, it's already bad enough when we've got a white, uniform with the stupid yellow patch because it's big too it's not small it's big we've got a blue uniform and blue and orange that has a stupid yellow patch and we've got an orange uniform that has a yellow patch those are clashing colors i need it to stop now we got this gorgeous white one 
And there's a dumb yellow patch just completely taking away from the overall tone of the look. I need it to stop. Other teams have sponsored patches on their jerseys that blend with the color scheme of the team. I don't understand why the Oklahoma City Thunder are so cash-strapped that they couldn't go to their sponsor and say, hey, man, if you guys want to be a sponsor, cool, but you can't have yellow because it's not in our color scheme. How do we get taken a task like that? So, loves, I'm putting you on blast. Please, I beg of you, get rid of the yellow box. <laughs> That's fantastic. I <laughs> There's so many things here. One of them being, I, you've had two of my favorite blasts on the show, in the show history, uh, between this and old age. I've just <laughs> got to point that out. The last time you were on, you put on blast old age, which is epic. Um, I do think, though, with this whole thing, and if we're going to, obviously, this is continuing in sports, and it's kind of spreading, um, and it, obviously, it's a huge thing in soccer with the patches, um, and you're seeing it more in American sports. The only, I would just ask, in general, I do totally agree that just make like it to where you can tweak the patch a little bit to fit in with the jersey, especially if you're going to do alternate jerseys, because you don't like it's going to suck to have a very cool iced out jersey with this yellow patch on it. Um, and like you'll have the cool yeah. like alternate court and all of that. And it's just going to have. So what I'm really hearing, though, is that on 2K, you're going to edit the uniform and you're going to take the patch off. Can you do that? No. No, I cannot do that. No, I, the, the thing that I'm most upset about is like I can go buy one of these city editions jerseys with with Shea on it. Yeah. With without the patch. Can get it on like the Nike store, the NBA store. If I go to a Thunder game, the Thunder Arena or the Thunder store online, like the actual Thunder store, every single jersey has the patch. So if I went like an Isaiah Roby jersey, it has to have the patch on it. Oh, yeah. Because they don't sell those elsewhere. If I want a Josh Giddy jersey, it has to have the patch on it. I already have a Shea jersey. I need something else, but I am very far away from Oklahoma now. So order, I would have to order buy the, it. Order the Roby jersey. I would have to buy it online, but I would have to get it from the team store and it would come with the dumb patch. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'd need it to stop. I need the madness to end. If I see Vista print on a jersey, I know what Vista print is. It doesn't need to be in their color blocking. <laughs> I mean, that's solid. That is true. Like, you already know what that is. That's true. Like, if I see, what is it? Is it Chime that is? Um, no, it's not Chime. It's the Lakers. Um, uh, Lakers wish. is that. No, it's it's that Bibigo now. Bibigo. Oh, did we change it? I man, You did. A little um, if I see the word Bibigo on a Lakers jersey, I'm going to Google Bibigo. I'm not going to Google uh, yellow logo. Like, like. Yeah, the color true. scheme doesn't matter. It just needs to know the name. Yeah, it is like they don't need to have their actual colors. Yeah, help true. help me out here, loves. I thought, I didn't see that going that way when you first said loves, though. To be totally honest, because you said you had gone on the road trip, so I was like, oh man, he stopped at a loves, and something weird happened. They were out of honey buns. Nope, it was that they needed to uh, get this logo game right. I no, like I stop exclusively at Casey's and Speedways. Those are my gas stations of choice. Oh, you are so in Speedway zone. If, uh, yeah, if, yeah. if Casey's wants to sponsor this uh, this podcast, I'm giving them a shout out here. So I'm get, trying to, to get, yeah, Casey's, trying to get you a sponsor here, Greg. I appreciate you. Get that breakfast pizza. It's delicious. See, I can be a pitch man, Casey. So yeah, check go. that out. 
All right, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Subscribe to the podcast everywhere you listen to them. Rate us and leave us a five-star review. If you leave four, I am inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. Uh, make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, Varsity Club, Nebraska Preps Post Game Show, and the Hill Varsity Radio Show. You can also check out the Hill Varsity YouTube page. I'm back on there talking all things recruiting. We've got a sub-channel now on there for just Nebraska recruiting. So make sure to check that out. Um, you can also get after us on Twitter at GregSmithHB and at DrPDHB. You can email the show at straightupbreakdownhillvarsity.com. I will catch you guys next week. A Huda Media Production.